today on the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, we are celebrating Stan Lee's life, what he meant to us, and why we are thankful for him. All that right after this. Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. My name is Matthew Carroll. And I'm Jeff Randall. Today we're doing a, it's a very special episode. We have lost Stan Lee at age 95, and he made a lot of contributions to the canon of Marvel Comics, and therefore the Marvel Cinematic Universe that we love. So we want to celebrate him. Um, yeah. Uh, so so, so we, we brought some reasons that we're thankful for Stan Lee, and we also asked everyone to submit some from out in the social media. So we got some some from you guys and some from us, and we're going to talk about why we're thankful for Stan Lee. Uh, you doing all right today, Jeff? Yeah, I'm doing all right, sir. I'm a little bit uh, a little bit on the tired side, but, you know, that's, that's life. You just got to keep on trucking. Yeah, man. Got to plug away. I'm tired, too. I've been working since, like, 8 a.m., <laughs> I'm packaging all of the shirts and uh, and things, uh, the swag that is going out to our Patreons this week, and uh, that's been so much, <laughs> so just, much more than you thought it well, was. It's a lot of work, but it's also like there's just boxes everywhere in my house. There's just I look like I'm running a shipping center, which I basically am just for this week. <laughs> I just got box on box on boxes. It's pretty crazy. You've got uh, you must have one of those businesses where you sell things on eBay for other people. <laughs> clearly, clearly, clearly. Um, okay, so let's dive in to talk about Stanley. Um, you want to go first? What's your first uh, impression? What's your first thing you're thankful for when you talk about Stanley? Well, I, honestly, I think the first thing that I would talk about being thankful for from Stanley is the thing that most people would talk about being thankful for from Stanley. It's Stan's soapbox. In the early days of, of Stanley being the major editor and writer of the comics, of Marvel Comics in the 60s, he had this section called Stan Soapbox where he would rant and rave about anything that came to mind, basically. A lot of times he was plugging other books. Yeah, it was used for marketing, but it also was used for social justice. Yeah, it was also his platform to tell people to not hate each other for no freaking reason. And yeah. a lot of people put that, like, there's one particular one about uh, social ills. Um, that is like the most widely shared one. And that platform, especially when being marketed to, to, you know, young impressionable people <laughs> was, that was the best use of power that I could, uh, that we could have ever hoped for. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really neat to, you know, the, we, we always talk about how these comics are morality tales, but it's neat that he took the time to actually put in the back of the book, like, and he's such a character and a, like a, like a loving character to the fans and to have him, him acting that way and to actually like say morals to the story, you know, like it's not just the morals in the story, but we're going to talk about ethics and morals and how to treat people. And I thought that was really cool. Actually, Brian V. Klein sent in a Stan, uh, Stan Soapbox. I'll go ahead and read his comment here. Um, Brian V. Klein said, um, the thing I'll remember most about Stan Lee isn't the movies, cameos, or the unbelievable, unthinkable, and unreal amount of characters, places, and ideas he helped create in comics. And I've been reading them almost 40 years, so I've read a few. <laughs> what I will remember most is his never-ending fight to promote tolerance. He instilled in me 
that hating things or other people for being different is wrong and that those differences should be embraced. This is a Doctor Who reference, but it reminds me so much of what Stan preached. Hate is too strong of an emotion to waste on something that you don't like. Uh, Godspeed, Mr. Lee. And then he posted the Stan soapbox. And I gotta say, I, I was just reading, I read that from Brian and I read his Stan soapbox that he posted here. Uh, I think it was Saturday morning, uh, when I sat down to, uh, prep for the cast or whatever. Um, and I, I cried reading this whole thing. Just like that. And then, uh, this is Stan soapbox. Um, let's lay it right on the line. Bigotry and racism are among the deadliest social ills plaguing the world today. But yeah, this is the one. But, Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, this one you're mentioning? Yeah. But unlike a team of costumed villains, they can't be halted with a punch in the snoot <laughs> or a zap from a ray gun. The only way to destroy them is to expose them, to reveal them for the insidious evils they really are. The bigot is an unreasoning hater. One who hates blindly, fanatically, indiscriminately. If his hang-up is black men, he hates all black men. If a redhead once offended him, he hates all redheads. If some foreigner beat him to a job, he's down on all foreigners. He hates people he's never seen, people he's never known, with equal intensity, with equal venom. Now, we're not trying to say it's unreasonable for a human being to bug another. Although anyone has the right to dislike another individual, it's totally irrational, patently insane to condemn an entire race, to despise an entire nation, to vilify an entire religion. Sooner or later, we must learn to judge each other on our own merits. Sooner or later, if a man is ever to be worthy of his destiny, we must fill our hearts with tolerance. For then, and only then, will we be truly worthy of the concept that man was created in the image of God, a God who calls us all his children. Stan. Pike said, Justitia. Yeah. I, that just really touched me the other day. Just the idea that he sit, spent so much of his life really uh, using the – a lot of people – and we, we got some commentary about this, but a lot of people point at Stan Lee and say he got way too much credit for what he did um, because he, he, it's not, it's, he didn't do it all. He had, there was a lot of help, and that is definitely true. Um, um, Marv, uh, Marv Eli Jansen in one. Marv Eli Jansen? Yeah. Yeah. He said, hey, just a side note on the thankful podcast, quote unquote, as much as we all loved Stanley, we should also set aside a bit of thanks to all of the many others who made Marvel what it is today as well. Lest we not forget. <laughs> he names a lot of creators. Go for it. Like, name, name the creators. Jack Kirby being the first one, obviously. Uh, Steve Ditko, an amazing artist. Um, Ditko is one of the major artists for Spider-Man. Um, that's where a lot of people remember him. But anyway, anyway, let's keep going. Claremont, Byrne, Miller, as in, I'm assuming, Frank, uh, Kubert, Bushima, J.R. and J.R. Jr., meaning uh, John Romita and John Romita Jr., uh, Bendis, Brian Michael Bendis, Simonson, Miller with an A.R., I'm assuming that's Mark Miller, uh, Starlin, Feige, Hitch, Quesada, Joe Quesada, uh, the other Lees, hmm. Bagley, Perez, as in George Perez. I actually met him. He's a pretty cool guy. Um, Fraction, Matt Fraction, uh, Aja, et cetera, et cetera. The man, 
all, all caps in quotes, was probably at the top, but it was slash is a long list of greatness. Let's pour some out for them too. Totally, totally with them uh, that all those people deserve a lot of credit. But my next, my, my next reason we should be thankful for Stanley actually involves those creators. A lot of those creators. Um, uh, and my, 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 my first reason I want to present that we should be thankful for Stanley is the Marvel method. Yeah. Um, he, at least, at least according to him and according to the lore, he created what we call the Marvel method of writing comics. Um, in the early days of writing comics, it would be uh, a, a writer would write a script, a full script, panel by panel, and they would actually like lay, basically give the give the artist exactly what they wanted. And and because and Stan Lee in the early days wrote that way as well. And, and, and it really was virtue of him being too busy. So it's not even like he, it's not, I don't think it was a genius, uh, thought on his part, but what it was, it was trusting other creators. And a lot of those creators we just named, the reason, the reason they got to do the amazing work they got to do was because Stan Lee trusted them enough. And the Marvel method is instead of writing a script, Stan would write a paragraph and sometimes like a, a full page of what was supposed to happen in the comic book. And then he'd hand it to the, 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 uh, the artist and say, you, you draw it however you want. Like, I'm not going to micromanage you. And I think as a leader and as a writer, that is a huge amount of trust you're giving to your people and asking them to, you know, come up with their own ideas. So that is in a lot of ways, um, exactly as Marv said, he doesn't deserve all of the credit because in a lot of ways, the, uh, the, the, even though he was the writer on all these comic books, a lot of the real writing was done by the artists. But that's still because he trusted them enough to say, here's my paragraph, you draw it however you want. And then he would go back in with the drawings and he would insert what he thought the character should say <laughs> while they're, yeah. so, so he wasn't writing like, you know, Iron Man dodges train, then this happens, then he was just writing, this is the basic outline of the story, you draw it however you want, and that, and that be, that made this collaborative process between writer and artist that still goes on today, and, and, uh, I was watching an interview with Stan from like the 90s, and he was saying, we started doing it that way, and now it's, it, it is done just as often, the Marvel method is used just as often as, uh, the scripted method is these days in comics because it's so it's efficient. It's, it's allowing the creators to be creators. And I think that like him doing that, yes, a lot of other people deserve tons of credit for what they did, but I think him not being a micromanager and a lot and trusting his creators is what brought us a lot of the amazing creativity we got throughout the sixties and seventies and Marvel comics, you know? Yeah, I actually I'm not sure that uh, that Stan is the the originator of that. He may be the perfecter of that because um, there was a story about Joe Simon working with Jack Kirby uh, on early Captain America comics, where uh, Joe just kind of came in with a general story, like did some r- really rough sketches onto a storyboard, and, like was writing the words right. onto the storyboard, and then uh, he worked with Jack, and Jack, you know, kind of you know brought the the musculature of the character into play, like brought the the character forward and actually made everything look good. And then, you know, once they solidified everything, he cleaned up the drawings and, you know, really uh, made the character pop as far as getting the pencils in. And then they got an inker that was, you know, really good at, at 
bringing the the page to life and then you know from there it just took off uh, like the first ep- uh, the first issue of Captain America sold over a million copies right and I don't know uh, so uh, yeah I don't know if they did that exactly the same way and there's definitely always been a mix of uh, the creators relying on one another, but it yeah. became the, what became known as the Marvel method was basically a result. Like it, it was popularized at least because yeah. at, at the height of his powers, we, we well, I guess we'll say at the height of his uh, creative output, Stan Lee was writing so many books <laughs> yeah. that he yeah. wasn't, he didn't have time to write them. And he was just, yeah. you know, these other, there, there's definitely always been a lot, a, a mix of uh, of creativity between writer and artist, and different creators and collaborators do it differently. Um, so I'm definitely not saying he's the only one to ever have done it, or that he definitely did it first. But uh, at least at least his description of events, and I'm sure you know, I'm sure others had similar uh, outputs. But um, yeah. his his description of events was the way that they were doing it at Marvel was basically scripts scripts being turned into panels then you know uh and, and and one of the one of the innovations for him was was adding in the dialogue after the fact because he felt that a lot often the um the the drawings would inform the dialogue you know like yeah. exactly what spider-man is doing in that moment gives him you know how how to exactly write in um Exactly how he's saying what he what the information he has to convey is kind of already in the story, but the the way he says it and the you know the tone he takes is is very like related to what's going on in the panel, you know. Right, right. And I think that's just just a cool way to work, and just it sounds way more collaborative, and I like that a lot. Yeah, and I'd say that's almost um, that's almost a large reason why uh, there's so many different styles of comic, even just within the Marvel universe, uh, big, like <clears throat> with him being so busy, like he created so many characters like fantastic four and Spider-Man and Iron Man and Thor and, uh, and Dr. Strange, like all of these, all these different characters have so many different writing styles to them and so many different storytelling styles that only really happens when, multiple creators or somebody who's just like one of those people who's got the shine, you know, but, or like multiple creators are working in the same space and, and kind of doing the same thing all at the same time together. And that was facilitated by Stan having way too much to do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just trusting, trusting people you're working with is so important to creative collaboration. I think that's just one of the, one of his, one of the things that he brought to the table. Um, and, and you can, and a lot of people put it in a negative light and I'm not saying that he, you know, in my experience, he has always talked very highly of the other creators. Um, I know there were, there were times where he had, uh, um, a beef with some of them or whatever, but like <laughs> yeah. every interview I've ever heard him, he's like, Oh, they were amazing. You know, like he's not the artist. He's, he's always been like very complimentary of the artists he's worked with. And, uh, and I think, I think a lot of his, uh, the controversy around him getting more credit than he deserves is, 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 is a double, double sided thing because I think he like legitimately did let, let the artist do the, their art. And I think that's cool. <laughs> So along with him trusting his artists, it seems like he trusted uh, the people to, you know, to not be idiots. Um, 
Jeffrey James has some things, you know, that's kind of along those lines that he wrote in. He said, Stan's Soapbox was often the best read in the magazine. Even though they were sometimes just marketing for other books, he commented on real-world stuff. But more important was talking to us comics readers like we mattered. He never talked down to us, never took us for granted, never sold us short. Mm. That's absolutely true. And that's the thing I I heard. Uh, man, if 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 you guys want to hear more people talk about Stanley, uh, <laughs> don't do it till you you know listen to this podcast first. But um, <laughs> and then go check out absolutely. Should check out uh, Fat Man Beyond this week. It, previously called Fat Man on Batman. Um, Fat Man Beyond this week. Uh, Kevin Smith told every story he had. Of Stan Lee, and he's been oh, working man. with him since like '95 when he was in Mallrats. Yeah, Stan Lee was in Mallrats, and he tells story after story of the man, and 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 he's like crying because that, <laughs> obviously he's a, he's a huge creator and hugely influential to Kev, um, but also uh, at some point in his life, um, this is in one of the stories, and it's making me emotional thinking about it. But in one of the stories, uh, the guy who's Stanley's assistant stops Kevin and goes, "You know, he thinks of you as a son, right?" Oh God! And Kev just breaking down telling the story. Oh. It's like one of the one of the biggest moments in his life. And he said, "He said it's not something I knew I needed until he said that. Like the 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 validation of a father figure." that meant that much to me and that I respected so much. And it, it, huh, it's a great podcast uh, this week. They just talk about Stan Lee for like an hour and a half. And it's, it's just all about every experience that he had working with him over the years. Cause he, they did that, uh, Marvel's M- monsters and something <laughs> heroes and monsters or something like that together where he, inter- he's interviewed him multiple times and they've done lots of shows together and worked on, he's worked on two or three of Kevin's movies and it, it, it was just, he had so many great stories to tell and, uh, Stan Lee, I think really appreciated him because he would put him in his projects and he, you know, 95, Stan Lee hadn't really been in any big movies and so his chance to go be a, be an actual actor in Mallrats was really big to him, you know? Um, and it's <laughs> he wasn't really even acting though. <laughs> he no, was, no, no, well, I, he it, was playing himself. That, well, he kind of is though. Uh, and that's what's, uh, he tells the whole story and I'm not going to retell it here because you guys can just go listen to that podcast and it's, he tells it so much better, but he tells this whole story about how like, <laughs> one of the one of the funniest things they told on the podcast was I'm see, I'm sitting here retelling it. Sorry, I'm just going to do it. Um, he tells a story about how Stanley uh, wanted him to change the script because in the script, um, Stanley is telling the character in the movie that he was in love with this girl once and he always regretted never going after her. And uh, Stan Lee was like, I, I, I think we have to change that because I have a wife to go home to and she'll be mad at me if I tell her a story about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it was so funny. So that's why I got changed to the, uh, to the Peter Parker, Gwen Stacy uh, story. No, I think in the, in the thing, he does tell a story about uh, someone he was in love with. But then at the end of it, he goes over to T.S. Uh, in the movie and tells T.S., I told him the story you wanted me to tell him, uh, like 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 as if T.S. had put him up to tell oh, the yeah, story, yeah. like it wasn't a true story. So <laughs> you may need to get him some help. He's got some weird obsession with superhero body parts. <laughs> yeah, it was great. So good. <laughs> uh, 
Love that. Love yeah. that. Anyway, yeah. Please check out Fat Man Beyond this week or Fat Man. Some, some, I think it's still called Fat Man, Batman on some podcatchers. Uh, but it's, uh, Stanley. It's all Stanley. It's all Kevin Smith telling Stanley stories and it's great. Made me cry. <sighs> made me cry multiple times. And then I sat down yep. to read you guys feedback and it made, and I, that made me cry too. So <laughs> we're all. just, we're so weepy this week. Yeah. And, uh, and so, another thing that Kev mentions is like how, and, and this is what Jeffrey James just talked about, how he never sold a short. Uh, he just talks about how like he didn't view his fans as like sad people living in a, their mom's basement. He, he viewed them as people that were worthy of like teaching lessons to because they're going to go on and do great things in their lives. And he was always encouraging us to be better. And I, I just, ah, I love it. Yeah. Good man. Yep. Yep. Ah, that's, I, I, you know, my next, my next reason that I'm thankful for him is almost, it, it, it almost pales in comparison to what I wanted to say just now. So I think I'm going to change it. Like originally it was going to be, thank you for co-creating Thor, you know, with Jack Kirby and Larry Lieber. Right. Um, in August, 1962. That's not as important though, as giving giving these nerds that are reading these comic books, you know, uh, uh, an idol to look up to like your, your Spider-Man character, your Peter Parker was scrawny kid that got bitten by a radioactive spider and then became a hero, became somebody who had to pull his punches against street thugs because he didn't want to hurt them because he had such great responsibility with his power. That's right. Thor, uh, Donald Blake, Dr. Donald Blake picked up a random stick because he was a cripple and this stick allowed him to hit the ground and then turn into the God of Thunder. The Captain America, like even though he didn't create Captain America, he brought Captain America back. Um, Captain America was scrawny kid that got put into a government experiment to become a super soldier and then still stood up to every single bully he came across and and sent that message of I will not back down because this is right. Mhm. Well, th- you touched on a few of my points as well. Sorry. I, no, no, it's fine. We <laughs> we tried not to conflict on our points and it's totally fine that we are uh, cuz I think you're right. I think one of the major things he added to comic books is uh the way he wrote comic books is one of obviously his biggest, and I don't mean, I obviously talked about the Marvel method a minute ago, but, um, the characters, the way he wrote characters, the way he wrote characters, the way he, he wrote flawed and, and very human characters. Like they're not, I think that DC and, and, and probably just in general superheroes of the time were very, um, we're very, uh, they're, they're godlike. They're all godlike. They're all these, these above us characters and not human. And, and the way he wrote in real human characters with problems with, like, just, just all the things that these characters, I mean, the, the characters in the Marvel universe have problems with alcoholism and money and, like, uh, just like real, like real world, just problems at school. Like, all these things are real. And and we can actually relate to them. We don't have. It's not just allegorical, you know. And I I think that's a huge thing he added to the kind of the canon of, and all the early Marvel writers, um, kind of taking taking this superhero genre 
and adding in, adding in, injecting it with humanity. Yeah, I think that's a huge part of what he was, what he was a part of that went went on to teach us. And you also point, touched on another one of my points, which is um, my 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 next one that I'm grateful for Stan Lee for. I think this is probably this this like I think Stan Lee will be very remembered, but this may outlive outlive even his memory. Um, the phrase with great power comes great responsibility. Oh, absolutely. Just that phrase. I mean, I, I think as many people know that phrase, which is, this is insane to say, but I think it's tr- probably true. I think as many people know that phrase now as know the golden rule, like, uh, treat others as you'd ha- have, you'd like to be treated. Like, yeah. As many people know with great power comes great responsibility. Like that's, that, that is, that is like bedrock zeitgeist. What is goodness? You know, like what is, (laughs) what is a hero? Um, what kind of person do you want to be like that? That is, that is just at the bedrock of, of, of my, my own like ethics, you know, (laughs) like, yeah. Um, and I, and I just, I, I think he will, I think he, that, that phrase will be remembered. And he did, you know, he wrote that in, I think, was it in a stand soapbox that, that was originally posted? Or was uh, it, it was in letters. In, it was in an editor's notes, um, okay. at the end of the first Spider-Man issue, or the first, the first issue that included Spider-Man, I think it was Amazing Fantasy. Um, and it was, it was not attributed to Uncle Ben until later. Uh, it was just right at the end where it was like, look, Spider-Man did this thing. Like, he did a bad thing. He did some good. The bad thing that he did led to bad stuff, and that's on him. That is his fault, and he has to live with that because with great power comes great responsibility. And now Spider-Man knows that, so he's going to have that weigh on him for the rest of his life. Yeah. Uh, it's It's... <laughs> It, it like just writing a character that in the first issue they make such a mistake, um, and, and like it's it's not even a mistake of like of, of for you know whatever uh, it's not a mistake in like in that it's an accident. He likes makes a moral he has a moral failing like a a major moral failing that ends up having horrible consequences. Yep, and then he learns. He literally learns a lesson. Like, how often does that even happen these days? I feel like these days, when you write a character, you're too scared to have them do something so wrong, so bad. Like, he does a thing that gets his uncle killed. You know, like that is <laughs> that is horrible. Um, and and it'd be really easy to read that character or, or to to fear, like especially if you're making a big budget movie or whatever. It'd be easy to fear. Um, Fear putting that in because you're, oh, that's going to alienate people. But no, he, he understood that putting that in is what makes us connect with Peter Parker. Like he, he has guilt. He has, he, he's, he's just real. He's just so much more real. Yeah. That's that injecting humanity thing. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, God. So let's see. Uh, Lucas Heredia said, I'm thankful for Stan the Man Lee because he was there for me with his comics and even his words in an old VHS tape where he told kids Spider-Man was his favorite superhero and why. His soapbox has taught me not to be a racist and that being different was okay. 
when bad things would happen, I would run to my comics or Spider-Man the Animated Series. And I remember being so happy when he made a cameo in that. I love Stan Lee. Excelsior. Mm. Like, just hearing hearing Lucas there espouse, like, he taught me not to be a racist. I don't know. I don't know where Lucas grew up. Um, I, I grew up in Alabama, <laughs> where <laughs> it's racism capital of the world, basically. <laughs> no, well, that, I don't think that's true. But there, it's definitely, it's definitely more bald faced here. Um, yeah, there are still people like. literally just carrying symbols of racism proudly here on a daily basis. And I grew up in the country. It would have been easy for me to take a different path. And, and, and espouse some of those horrible things. And, and it's things like this, this Star Trek, Star Trek comics, Marvel, like all this stuff like that I grew up on is, you know, and, and not to, not to discount my parents' role in all this as well. Um, <laughs> my parents are also very, um, loving people, uh, that, that are not, are not racist. Um, but, uh, it's just, it's just, it's just amazing to hear someone just say, like, he taught me not to be racist. Like, that's, and in Damn. today's world where we've got a lot of tensions brewing, like, we need more people that, like, no matter what you feel about, like, certain political issues or whatever, like, you need to stand up to racism. Like, like, I, uh, I, I, we, we don't talk politics much on this cast. We try not to. Uh, we, we did it last week and someone, th- and a couple of people thanked us, uh, <laughs> for getting <laughs> at least a little political. It's just, I have, I have pretty centrist beliefs when it comes to a lot of like policy issues. <laughs> How um, dare you? You can't do that. You I have know. to pick a side. You have to pick a side. And I, I like, that's, that's actually why I never talk about politics is not because I have strong leanings one direction. It's actually because I'm kind of in the mushy middle when it comes to policy. And so I'm actually always scared to bring that up because you just get hatred from both sides when you do that. You <laughs> yeah, do. You like, do. And, and then so yeah. like, and that's not what this podcast is about. So I don't ever bring it up because I have, I have, I understand where certain conservative principles are coming from. And I definitely understand where certain liberal principles are coming from. And I think that oftentimes the right way is the third choice. It's the, the Captain Kirk choosing between Spock and McCoy. Like that's, that's, that's me. That's, that's why well, I believe that a lot of times you have to listen to both sides and come to a, come to an answer that satisfies both sides of the, of the, of the issue. But things like racism are not like, that's not like an either or issue. That's not a, that is a, that is a moral failing when that stuff isn't stood up to. And, 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 and I just, it's, I'm glad that we've had these creators that have fought so hard to say those things. And so even though I don't like to talk about politics, I do just in the, in the spirit of Stan, I, w- I want to at least say that I think that like, you know, we, we need to all stand up to that stuff more. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Sorry. I'm getting all sappy over here. I <laughs> know me too. I'm... Oh man. So, uh, my, uh, my third one, um, I guess since we're circling back to me, <laughs> sure, sure, sure. um, my, my third thankful thing for Stan the man is, uh, you know, I'm thankful that Stanley revived Captain America in March, 1964. Like, yes, it was a, 
it was a tester issue, or originally it was a tester issue uh, to put Captain America in a story with the Human Torch, and it turned out to be a phony, and um, then Cap debuted in his own because Sam was testing the waters to see if people would like it if Captain America returned, and everybody was really enthusiastic about it, so he brought Captain America back in uh, Avengers number four or five, I think it was, and that was what it was in March 1964. Um they discovered him, you know, hidden in the ice. But because he brought Captain America back uh, and was having this guy, you know, living in the 60s, dealing with, or like trying to to cope with what's happening in the 60s with this, like, you know, 20s, 30s, 40s mindset, um, you know, having those values, he was able to put this character in who ended up just being timeless he he was able to to bring about this character who had timeless values and a timeless sense of judgment where like you're saying it's always you always have to stand up to hatred you always have to do the right thing and because he brought cap back writers like j michael straczynski were able to write uh, were able to give cap lines from like mark twain um Specifically, when Captain America was saying to Spider-Man during Civil War, he said, it doesn't matter what the press says, it doesn't matter what the politicians or the mob say, it doesn't matter if the whole country decides that something wrong is something right. This nation was founded on one principle above all else, the requirement that we stand up for what we believe, no matter the odds or the consequences. When the mob and the press and the whole world tell you to move, your job is to plant yourself like a tree beside the river of truth and tell the whole world, no, you move. Ah, that's a beautiful quote. Yeah. The, uh, the ending of it was, uh, pretty much all Mark Twain. Um, I, you know, J. Michael Straczynski was able to, to slip in some Mark Twain, uh, via Cap. Yeah. Bring it, bringing back Cap is pretty, it's it's a it's a bold choice. I feel like the caps, even when he brought him back, like you said, what year did you say that was? Nineteen sixty four. It's interesting that Cap had already fallen out of favor at that point. I mean, it, it's the sixties. You've got like a lot more moral relativism creeping into the society, and to to infuse the the comic with a character that's like no. I believe the truth, and I and I I know what's right, and I'm standing by what's right. You know, I, I yep. do I do love that he's. It, it can come off very, in in the face of moral relativism, the guy who does the who just always does the right thing can come off very cheesy. Yeah, um, I mean it's it's the same difference between like Wolverine and Cyclops in the movies. It's like you've got Wolverine who's like oh moral. <laughs> morally ambig- ambiguous he's an anti-hero and it's like he's, <laughs> i'm a gray zone <laughs> right yeah. look at me i'm gray i'm um, and like it it's easy to love those characters it's easy to love the han solos and the and, and the and the wolverines and such but it, it it's it's a bold choice to bring back a character that is not that way and that is like no I'm I am a I'm a avowed goody two shoes. <laughs> like and I and that's who I am. And and to 
to and, and especially the way that the way they did it with Chris Evans in Captain America the movie is 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 amazing. Just having him stand up to bullies and giving him <laughs> just such a sacrificial heart. Him jumping on that grenade is one of the most moving scenes in cinema to me. <laughs> like, uh, yep. He views yep. himself as, as, as a willing sacrifice. As long as he makes an impact and saves other people and does the right thing and helps others, it doesn't matter if he dies. And that, and it, like, he's, he's willing to sacrifice himself. And that's, that just Cap is, Cap is a beautiful character. And I know that, I know that Stanley didn't write those movies, but, it's it is it is you're right. It's amazing that he brought him back into into the fold, as it were. Yeah, I mean he's he's one of the writers that helped to cement that character into what he became. And mm. without Stanley having brought him back, we probably wouldn't have gotten that kind of movie and yeah. that kind that kind of heart for somebody to dive on a grenade, saying like, "If I can save at least one person before I die or with my death." Then that'll be enough. I'll, I'll know that I have done some good. Like that is insane. That scene, man. It's it's also oh. like it's also him. <laughs> like he knows he can't. He knows he's the type of man that can't help in this war. Like he knows this. The, the thing that needs to happen right now is this war needs to be won. World War Two. Hitler has to be stopped, and he doesn't have the power to do that. But he he looks around and he sees a group of men who are strong, and he sees their their ability to move forward. And if all he can do is save these six men who are standing around this grenade, if that's his purpose, that they can go on and do the thing that needs to be done, he's happy to die. <laughs> that's just so beautiful to me. And I, yep. oh goodness. I'm getting weepy over here thinking about <laughs> Captain America. I think I've cried thinking about that scene more than like any other scene in, in movies. Okay, let's get back to something fun here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got this one. <laughs> go, yeah, go for Dylan Rudeski said to us on uh, on Facebook, I'm thankful for Stan because he reminded me and continues to remind us that it's okay to be a kid no matter how old you are and that if you do something that you love, you're not working, you're playing. And he shared a picture of Stanley. Said when asked if online comics would replace actual books, Stanley said, "Comics are like boobs. They look great on a computer, but I'd rather hold one in my hand." <laughs> Excelsior! <laughs> Excelsior, indeed. Yes, sir. <laughs> That's really great. I, I love Dylan Rodesky uh, mentions that that the quote of "If you do something that you love." You're, you're, you're working. You're not working. You're playing. And, uh, that is definitely the ethos I've lived by. And it's, it's, it's creators like him that gave me the, you know, boldness to think I could do this kind of stuff. And I, and I, and I really, uh, do appreciate that a lot. Um, I, I, I play music for a living and it's, uh, it, it, I, I literally am playing every night I go to work and I, <laughs> I, I'm really, proud and privileged to be able to do that and i know not everyone and i I feel like i feel like it's almost a cop-out because i i do feel like you need to love whatever you do and it's just like you said you're not working you're playing and um, if you love what you do you you are you are you're playing you're having fun you're you it's the old phrase you never work a day in your life um but uh, I, I always feel like it's a bit of a cop out because I'm a musician, and I feel like that's such a easy one to say. Oh yeah, of course you have fun, but I I, I really hope that everyone out there finds something that they 
They they legitimately love find the things that you're good at and that bring you life and light and and it doesn't have to be an artist. It doesn't have to be a musician. It can be uh, just loving what you do, and that that is hugely important. It can be something as simple as being really really excited that you can watch a string of characters that you have typed into a screen do something amazing, like creating creating computers that other people are going to use that don't actually physically exist. Right. But because you have put coding. a bunch of yeah, but because I've <laughs> put a bunch clear. of letters onto a screen, you said I have created not, something I'm stuck in the in the writer Marvel. Oh, world. sorry. Um, <laughs> but so yeah, because I put a bunch of letters and symbols onto a screen, I have created something, or I have from that been able to create virtual machines, these computers that don't exist other than through code that other people are going to use and need and they love me for it. And being able to do that is just so cool to me. That is awesome. I love that you love what you do. And I really hope everyone out there try to love what you do. Find, find a thing to do that you love. And it's uh, it's incredibly important. Stan was right. Uh, my last thing that I, I had, and I was originally going to do this one first, but our conversation just led me to my first two. And I feel like my first two were, I was saving them because I wanted to end on a heavier note. But this is more just kind of about what he did in the industry uh, and in comics in general. And I, I think his role as the champion of Marvel Comics uh, was incredibly essential for them to be able to rise like they did. They needed someone to humanize the face of Marvel. Um, they needed that person. And he gets a lot of credit that some people say he doesn't deserve, but I would say that like without him championing the way he did without, without him acting as the face of Marvel, I don't, I don't think that Marvel could have taken on DC the way they did. Um, without, without the, the the face of the man you know out there with his catchphrases and even the books he's writing like having him you're rooting for Stan Lee when you're rooting for Marvel when you're when you say I'm a Marvel guy you're rooting as back then at least you're rooting for Stan Lee as a creator to do you know over DC like you're rooting for his his whole ethos you know yeah um and and and, and it needed that sort of like lightning rod of a human being to sort of coalesce the energy around. And I, and I'm just really, I think, I think he was incredibly important and that led Marvel to be able to challenge DC and, and which then led DC to better themselves and, and the entirety of comics and, and the entirety of superhero media and probably genre fiction in general was brought. It, 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 it all boats were floated higher because of his uh, his championing of Marvel comics. It, uh, having having there be the big two that had such a rivalry for so many years and them competing back and forth and trying stealing creators and trying to do do more and do better and. Uh, create things that people love. Like it, it's incredibly important that Marvel came along when it did, uh, and and pushed all this kind of content to 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 high to higher heights. You know. Yep. Yep. And it's just continued to move toward higher heights as it's 
continued on. And, and, and I, even today, we have this Marvel-DC rivalry. And, you know, we, we joke a lot about the Marvel-DC rivalry, but I think the Marvel-DC rivalry is an important part of what led comics to where they are, because they're always trying to one-up each other. And right now, we've got these Marvel-DC movies, and... Obviously, you shouldn't cross a line and hate people because they like DC or Marvel. But I think a little fun sort of ribbing and like competition is healthy. It's healthy for the, for the, for the creators to spur them on to do something better. It happens in music. I mean, like the Beach Boys and the Beatles were writing music at the same time and like they were literally like one would come out with an album and then the next one would come out with an album that was trying to do what the other one was doing but better and like they're just constantly pushing each other to new heights and i think that the competition which he definitely fostered um calling them the distinguished competition uh, <laughs> he fostered that because he knew it was it well no he fostered it because it was self-interest but because of that it allowed this competition that has led to some great art oh these many years so yeah, I think I think without him in that champion role, or someone had to step forward and be a champion. You know, we don't have a Stan Lee on the DC side. You got Jeff Johns, but he's not Stan Lee. He's not out leading parades and giving out no prizes and writing in the backs of books. And uh, I mean, maybe he's writing in the backs of books, but he's he's just <laughs> not, he's not he doesn't have catchphrases. Like I'm not saying he's not a talented man and hasn't written a ton of great things. But, like, I think that Marvel needed that champion at the time he came along to, 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 to challenge them in the zeitgeist, to challenge DC in the zeitgeist, and to become a, uh, a, one of the, one of, a part of the big two rivalry. Yeah. So, I, 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 I think his, his role there, um, often people say his his role is overstated because he they act like he created everything and obviously there's a lot of creators that were involved, but I think that his role as like a meta figure as almost all the things we've talked about tonight weren't his creations. Uh, we've talked about a few of his creations, but almost everything people have said and we've said is like what he did behind the scenes, what he did as a as a meta. Uh, component to the comic books and to the industry and pushing things forward. So I know he didn't write everything. I know he didn't draw anything, <laughs> but he like, he was, he was such a facilitator for this entire movement that was Marvel. And I, th- I think that, uh, I just was a great, a great figure and we're going to, he's going to be sorely missed. Yeah. Uh, to that point that, uh, like, even if you didn't know, or even if you you know you never read the comics, or rather, even if you uh, don't know what company he works for, you know that Stan Lee uh, is the champion. Basically, Omer Elmalia uh, was messaging us a little bit this uh, this past week. He grew up in Israel, and he said that he had never heard Stan Lee's voice until he uh, until he was much older. And you know, he was reading comics. But he always knew Stanley's face. Hmm. He always knew his face because he had his face out there. It's it's like Kev Kevin Smith was talking about how he treated him as a son. I feel like a lot of us felt that way about Stanley. Uh, a lot of us would have felt that incredible sense of um love if Stanley had called us a son because I think we all grew up sort of feeling that way 
that he's this, he's like, you had, you had mom, you had dad at home, but you also had this weird guy in the books that's like telling you your stories, you know, like, yeah. um, he's telling you the stories of your childhood and, and yeah, you grew up with him. Like he's everybody's favorite uncle. Yeah. Yeah. I think he, he's, he is a, he is kind of a, f- 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 <laughs> I want to say familiar, but that's not what I mean. Like familial figure. Yeah. In, 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 in our, in our world, because he is, like, I, you know, literally your parents read to you when you're a kid, and comics are a way that younger people can kind of read at a younger age because of the pictures. And you kind of like learn to read, and you learn about story, and, and it's just such a interesting place that he held in all, a lot of our hearts. And I, and I, and I'm just really happy to be able to, uh, honor him a little bit and thank him for what he did. It's Thanksgiving, everybody. Um, we're we're all very thankful for Stanley. Thank you for being there, Stan. Excelsior. Excelsior.